And with that being said, and with that being said, with that being said, and with that being said, with that being said, I'm really thankful I, I got that chance to go play at K State. With that being said, with that being said, thank you all. And with that being said, with that being said, I am. <laughs> nah, with that being said. Hey guys, welcome to our Five is One podcast. And with that being said, uh, this is a. Uh, we took a little break the last couple of weeks. We had uh, uh, one of the close friends of the program, Coach Jeff Reinbold, on a few weeks ago before the holidays. I think Coach Reinbold's back maybe in Hawaii after being overseas doing his uh, doing his work over in Europe. But um, we've got a, a really cool connection because I think uh, Coach Chris Sweet and Coach Reinbold, you guys go back for a number of years. You guys have been in the CFL, and uh, so we've got some good stories about uh, the places we've been, uh, the places we've worked uh, against each other. And uh, Coach Chris Sweet is now our new uh, North Carolina and Virginia affiliate 5 is one offensive line coach. So, uh, Sweet, welcome to the program, man. Thank you, Johnny. It's good to have you on, man. It's uh, it's good to talk a little ball during the offseason right now. Uh, for us, our season is a little different than everybody else. Um, I'm coaching in what is now called the UFL. It's the um, merger between the USFL and the XFL. And so we are merged and we're going to kick this thing off here. Uh, I think our first game is March 30th, trying to put our rosters together. And uh, Coach Sweet, Chris has spent a couple years north of the border uh, coaching in Canada, and he's now the offensive line coach for the Toronto Argonauts. Sweet, Give us a little bit of background of your coaching background, your history, and uh, how you ended up uh, in Toronto. Because I spent a couple years with the Argos. It's a great organization. Uh, you're working for a great head coach. And just give us a little bit of your background, how you got up to speed now. Well, kind of starting back from the beginning, I was not, I was one of the ones that never was fortunate to, to play major college football or actually coach major college football. Uh, went to a small Division II school in uh, Jefferson City, Tennessee, Carson Newman College. Uh, after that, uh, my first GA job was at Tennessee Tech. Uh, then from there, went to uh, Holy Cross in uh, Massachusetts and then down to Elon University, which is now Elon University, right when Elon made the changeover from Division II to 1AA. Uh, I actually spent a, lot, a year coaching the defensive ends there, which was different. Uh, hey, what's and- it like co- before you get going? What's it like coaching defense? Like, did you just feel dirty, or did did it was it good for you to to look at life from the other side? It was good just to kind of see how they game plan things, um, how they see the offense. Which what I found was about fifty percent of it, which they saw was true, and with fifty percent, it really wasn't true. Um, but it, it was a neat experience. We we had great people there, and a great defensive coordinator who has a, was really good um, in terms of. Uh, getting people to work together, and uh, it was just—it was a good experience. The way it was, and after that, went to Presbyterian College. Um, first year was a part-time guy there, working for Daryl Dickey. Um, Daryl was a good man at being the AD at West Georgia. And uh, Daryl left after the first year. I was there. Went to uh, Florida State to be the quarterback coach, and then uh, Tommy Spangler, who's a great defensive coach, became our head coach. And uh, Coach Spang made me full time, so I did that for four years. Um, then got let go after four years there as a coordinator. Went to um, Kentucky State. Uh, was there for about six months. And then um, got a chance to go to uh, Columbia University with Norris Wilson, who was one of the smartest, most intelligent men I've ever been around. Uh, Norris was a great football coach. Now he's an off-the-field uh, assistant with the uh, University of Mich- Minnesota. And uh, it's a shame he's not coaching. He's a hell of a coach. But uh, after that, uh, I was there for a year, and then I got my break in the CFL in 2007. Well, 2005, um, Dan DeRazio, uh, who was another – I met Dan when I was at Holy Cross. Dan was part of the Holy Cross family of years before with all those great coaches they had there. Um, I met Dan in probably my year at Holy Cross, and we stayed friends ever since. So he invited me up to, to guest coach in 05. So did that in 05. Hey, real quick, before you move on, tell people that don't know about the CFL game what a guest coach is. Like, 
Um, that's one of the, the ways that I think a lot of coaches that are coming from the U.S. that end up going to, to Canada and having an opportunity to coach up there, a lot of times it's that opportunity to go guest coach, learn the staff, learn what a Canadian-American ratio is on a roster. How was your experience with that with Durazio? Mine was great. With uh, Dan was in B.C. and um, Wally, Wally Buono was the head coach. And for whatever reason, Wally took a liking to me um, during that month period of time but it was a great experience um got to be around dan who i think is a premier offensive line coach learned um the differences and and how you kind of handle players at the pro level compared to handle them at the college or the high school level uh, learning this the day-to-day operations uh during training camp seeing how the roster is made you know being there when players get cut seeing there when a player's career comes to an end was uh was was different um, you saw you saw when players get hurt the the sense of urgency that comes to filling that spot through bringing someone in or moving someone into a different spot, a new position. So that was it was really enlightening on seeing how pro ball is on the inside, not from what you read in the paper or see on TV. So that was a great experience, and I tell people that's the best job you can have for a month because if that position doesn't play well, it's not your fault. So that's what I always talk about. You got the best job for a month. And uh, I think it's a great way for people to get their foot in the door in our league. No, it's a great experience. And and a lot of young coaches who are new to the Canadian game will get that opportunity. Some ex-players sometimes will get fast-tracked through uh, being a guest coach and see if they really truly want to roll their sleeves up and, and actually do the work as opposed to just showing up and being the athlete, uh, you know, and doing it on the field. So I think a lot of young coaches get great experiences up in the CFL. Are, is that still a thing? I'm, I've been out of the CFL probably for, geez, it's been maybe five years or so. Is being a guest coach still a thing that you guys are doing up there? It is, but it's not as prevalent. You used to have, you know, three, four, sometimes five people coming in, doing it in different um, facets of it. Now the league is pushing a lot to get operational people in. Um mm-hmm. Um, like as I think there's an initiative now that you have to have one or two females coming in to work in different, not so much the coaching part. It could be strength and conditioning. It could be uh, operations, video. So there's a push for that from the league. Mm-hmm. But with the operations cap now, um, the money from that's spent to bring in the house and the travel men, and if you pay them on the side, that money goes against your operation cap. So I don't think that is as prevalent as it used to be. But I know we in uh, Toronto last year had one, uh, Brian White, who's a line coach at uh, Delaware State. Mm. Brian did a great job, and he fell in love with the league, and he keeps up with everything in the league now. And hopefully um, one day it'll pay off and he'll be able to have have a desk there in the CFL. So I think it's a great way to do things. And I think it's, I wish people knew more about the league because it is a great league and there are differences, but you have to uh, embrace the differences to see the product is a, is really really good it really is man and and watching i know you guys had uh, a great year this year in toronto um and anything can happen in a cfl game i mean it's a fast-paced game there's only three downs on offense for those that don't know so the kicking game is a huge part of it field position is a major part of the cfl game with how big the field is um over there and just you know, it's good that you get a line coach um, with an opportunity to have a guest coach because, you know, those O-linemen, they need development. They need really fundamental growth and, and development. And that's why we're excited to have you a part of the five is one family suite just because of your teaching and um, what you've been able to put on the field. I've seen it from the other side. You're a great developer of talent, obviously a great communicator. And uh, that's why you've had so much success in the CFL. So, from BC, you guest coach up there with Dan. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's kind of the next stops for you as you kind of transition through the CFL game? Where'd you go from there? All right, so that was the that was the uh, that would have been the spring of 05. Mm-hmm. Um Then the, couldn't do it in 06 uh, due to uh, recruiting, um, spring recruiting, which we know in college ball uh, that is also hurt the. The importance of spring recruiting in the eyes of so many college coaches is not allowing guys to be able to come up. Uh, Lee Hall, who's one of my best friends, mm-hmm. is the head coach at Delaware State. Lee knew what benefit Brian could get by spending a month with us. So he worked it, he, he worked Brian's recruiting schedule around being able to come to camp because he That's knew great. it would benefit 
Brian's professional development as well as be able to help the players. So I wish I wish people would realize and say, you know what, that that seven to eight days instead of going knocking on glad hand people at the front door at a high school, um, maybe the the young man will get more out of going and working at CFL camp. It could help us more than just glad handing for five to eight days in a high school. Well, that brings me to a point because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And you and I are both coaching pro ball right now. We've spent plenty of time uh, coaching in the college game. And I think the game has completely changed from when you and I were coaching in college ball. My last college experiences, you know, I've been around the Mountain West. I've been at San Diego State, Nevada, UNLV, Air Force. Um, I was down in your neck of the woods, down at Wake Forest, um, down in Winston-Salem. But, man, it has definitely changed just to see probably less and less opportunities for spring recruiting because, I hate to say it, at the mid-major and the power fives and those big-time schools, they're really more interested in the transfer portal than going and going to see kids in the spring where you and I used to remember, hey, we're going to watch a kid go run around, maybe go to a track meet, go watch a kid play baseball. They're in the weight room. You want to be able to get eyes on them. It's hard to really say I'm going to go recruit high school kids right now when you got to win in a year or two. And that kid, by the time maybe you even sign him, you hate to say it, he's not going to play for a year or two, especially if he's an offensive lineman. So, like, what's your opinion or what your experience, your view of where college recruiting is going and where kind of the college game is right now? I think college recruiting is almost – coming um the actual high school co- coaching a uh, recruiting part of it's almost coming second fiddle because now um they're not worried about what they got in the building they're just trying to upgrade immediately and they're not trying to do that through a 16 17 year old kid they're figuring well we can get a kid that's more polished and more ready to play um by going and getting theoretically it would be a player that bring needs to be a backup is right. what I'm hearing now. So I think it's really – it's hurting the high school kids, this whole portal transfer thing, and kids are now not being recruited um, to this these type of schools because they're holding those slots open, hoping that Joe Blow from Institution X is unhappy at the end of spring practice or, in the, or not happy in November. So it's – I think it's just – it's really – it's put a damper on um, the development of high school kids. I think it's putting a – develop. It's, it's really putting a hamper on the kids that's – in these buildings now because they can just leave whenever they want. It's like they, they're like a, you know, elementary school kid and play on the playground. He can take his ball and go home. Hmm. You know, I just don't think it's, I don't think, I just don't think it's very good. I, I don't think it's good for the sport. No, it's a good message for anybody involved. And that's one of the things in the position that we coach on the offensive line. It takes development. It takes time. Guys are still growing into their bodies. Shoot. There's still the growth and development when offensive linemen are going to college and We've been at some of the smaller schools where now those kids, if they have a good year, they're getting poached from the bigger institutions and they're getting grabbed that way. Where my advice to kids and to parents that are high school kids right now is just put your head down and go to work. Like it, you just have to continue to put your mind towards developing and stay in your lane. Don't look at what someone else is getting. Take care of where you are. Right. You know, be where your feet are and handle your own business. That's why I love working with the kids that we've got in Colorado. We've got two locations that we train guys, and this gives me a little bit of a chance to uh, throw a shout out to some of our sponsors. So Fix Sports is here in Monument. Uh, we train guys here at Fix in Monument. Um, it, it's really one of the top training facilities here in Colorado Springs area. I uh, want to thank Chris Clark and Jason Dill and his staff to be able to allow us to come in and train offensive linemen here in Monument. But also we've opened up a new training center uh, and a, a agreement with Ground Up Sports Performance down in Colorado Springs for those kids that are in the southern part of Colorado Springs and southern part of Colorado that they can come train with us. So we've got two locations that we work with fundamentals. We're working body position. Guys are just being in a great stance learning takeoff, learning angles, aiming points, all those things that high school coaches aren't really able to spend a lot of time on because they've got to do so much scheme. And so that's why I'm excited with the training we do in Colorado. And Sweet, you're going to now do uh, some training with five as one 
in the North Carolina and Virginia area. Um, and so I uh, want to give you a chance to talk about that. And then we'll continue talking about your road, your career, because I think it's really cool to see where coaches have come from, to see how you've built your coaching pedigree, the influences that you've had, you know, whether it be Dan DeRazio or Bill Callahan, all the different people that you've gotten to know throughout your experiences. But give us a little background on where you're at now and what you've got going on over the next couple weeks in the Virginia Roanoke area where you've got history, like you're from Salem. Is that correct? Like up in that, yes, up in that area. So give me a little bit of an idea of what you've got going on in January, February right now for five is one. We're definitely going to be doing one in Roanoke, Virginia, Patrick Henry high school. I'm from the Roanoke area. Um, So I have a bunch of friends in that area who are, who are high school coaches there. And um, ironically, another gentleman I played with, um, back to the Roanoke deal. We're uh, we're going to do it not this weekend, but the following weekend we'll be doing a uh, a session at uh, uh, Patrick Henry High School um, in the Roanoke area. And uh, I talked to another uh, high school teammate of mine who's at Heritage High School in Lynchburg, Virginia. And uh, he said, "Hey, won't you come up this weekend to his place in Lynchburg?" He said, "I can get five or six of my kids out if you want to do that." So, um, still waiting here from the one here in town because um, I kind of. They had mentioned it first. So, but we're trying to get things going in Lynchburg. Um, and then Brad Bradley, who's the head coach at, uh, at Heritage, Brad said he would, uh, he could say a lot of kids in that area would, would, would benefit from it and we could do it at his facility there at Heritage. So there's another kind of location that we can hit. Uh, these are all at Roanoke and, and Lynchburg are both hour and 45 minutes from where I live now. So it's, that's an easy day trip for me to go up and, uh, to knowing people that are, are willing to give you their area and, and their time as people you know and trust it goes a long way because you know you know they're going to do their part to try to get kids there to to, to help you as a as the business person you know so uh, that's so great got, i mean i know that area too like when i was at wake and i was winston-salem in the acc i got to recruit i was very fortunate i got to recruit virginia maryland and dc and that whole stretch and there are some great players up in that area there were some great offensive linemen that came through. And so with your connections, I know you probably have almost more Virginia connections with where you've been. And I know you're just in the Greensboro area now trying to um, grow that network. And, and it's all about being around good people. And that's why I'm excited about your um, contribution to five is one. This is something that I had a vision and had some families and some kids reach out. They wanted me to start training them. And I was like, this doesn't need to just be me training kids that I know. This needs to be a big network, a network of coaches that I trust, coaches that have done it at the highest level, that are great teachers and teaching the fundamentals, teaching kids how that they don't have to worry about it when they play in the fall on that Friday night. All of a sudden, they can play free because they can play with confidence with their technique, understanding skills, what they need to do with their bodies, and really developing those players. And um, one of the tools that we utilize in five is one training is tip of the spear. I think it's a group that really sweet you and I um, really feel strongly about that they're teaching the game in the right way. Scott Peters, who I got to know uh, a number of years ago, just through clinics and combines and really through um, the cool clinic, which you spoke at and kind of visit about that in a little bit. But I, I think right now I utilize our tip of the spear blast shields at every training site here in Colorado. And I think you're utilizing them with your training and you're going to use them with the Argos when you go to camp. I think you got one right in the room right there that you've got, uh, you got your, what your daughter goes in and, and bangs around on, on the shields right there. <laughs> to, why, why do you think that these shields are so much better than like some of the other shields that people use out there? Well, I'm going to talk about the shield. Also, I'm going to talk about another company, if I may, being Please. the Ray company. Yes. Uh, Ray Crowther, the, the owner of Ray Crowther's name is Hans Kraus. Yes. And Hans used to bring some equipment to me. He's in Rock Hill. And mm-hmm. Hans would bring over some sleds to Presbyterian College when I was there for my time. So I'd get my seniors who were able to be on his videos and everything from a, um eligibility standpoint. He used to bring his sleds over to us, and we used to, he think he did it once or twice. And my old guys would hit the, the guys on the way out. They would hit the sleds, and we would um, 
we would be able to help Hans in his his um his his company and selling and advertisement videos. Well, um, I've remained close with Hans for years. Well, just about a month ago, right before Christmas, Hans is coming out with a new sled um, that it was actually co- came from Coach Hall- Coach Callahan's idea of mm. of every sled we hit is directly in front of us. Right. So Hans was was designed a sled that you hit on the angle, and um, so he asked me if I knew anybody in the Charlotte area that we could go on a Saturday afternoon. We met at um, York High School. And he brought all of his equipment over. He did a photo shoot for all of his new equipment. And Stanley Bryant, a name you probably know, uh, yep. Stan. I had Stan as a rookie uh, in Calgary. Now Stan, he'll be a first first ballot Hall of Famer in the uh, CFL. Stanley came down to Saturday, and uh, Hans actually brought me six of the shields to to use here. So that's why they were in the car. And um, we worked on that sled for a day, and he's still in the working process of it. So, um, so I always try to help Hans when I can and he's we may get together this week and he's learning about O-line play and how it may help him to design certain pieces of equipment well the tip of the spear and uh, the Ray Crowther are working hand in hand now so that's no, why I think they're great I mean I, I think it's the the reputation that Ray Crowther has I mm-hmm. actually got to finally talk to I've talked to Hans on on the phone multiple times when I did my order for five is one for all of our affiliate coaches that are using them, using the blast shields. But I finally met him at the convention this past year and we sat and talked and I'm trying to get um, every uh, franchise in the UFL to utilize the blast shields because I think it's the way that the game is transitioning. The, the coaching has changed. You and I have seen a ton of coaching changes in technique. And how the game has evolved and our teaching has to evolve as teachers the game changes the game evolves you got to take your head out of contact so being able to play long and use your strikes and aligning your joints when you're working in pass protection and also the hand play i mean the blast shields are great they've got targets on Mm -hmm. there with those yellow triangles right there and it also has the cutouts that you're almost being in the fit in a breastplate and i think that teaches correct hand placement so Shout out to Tip of the Spear. They've been a great resource for five is one training and also Ray Crowther and uh the pan sleds. There, there's nothing better than a Crowther sled than having your guys be able to understand footwork, leverage, uh, drive and fit and to be able to utilize that in those pan sleds, whatever level, whether it's high school, college, or pro, those are some of the tried and true tools of the trade that have been consistent uh in my 25 years of coaching the game. And what I think what Hans does a great job in working now in conjunction with uh, with the tip of the spear is they design pads like this. They design their pads are actually on their sleds that are shaped and have the same body configuration of a defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. So you'll have the sleds are they're built um, as if it is a defensive lineman in a fit taking on a block. Mm-hmm. So it forces. The offensive lineman. This is what a good one's. This is what a good defender is going to be at, and positionally, well, here, now they now they add it to the machine, to where the sled is at the same level as a defensive lineman, as well as it's weighted like an average of an NFL player or a college player. Now you can add weight to it to get it to whatever you want. So they take it a step further. They want to make their equipment be as functional as what a player is going to see when the lights are on. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. And maybe with the the defensive line sled, maybe it's a little, you know, maybe they've got, you know, a little bit more rounded hips, something like that to make it feel like it's a bigger defensive line. And one of those big bodies that's just sitting anchoring in there, um, maybe they get off a little slower. They might not have the same SAT score as what the offensive lineman has on the sled. Um, but there's nothing better than coaching the offensive line suite. And you've had success at least as far as I've known you, you've been one of the best teachers. You've been able to create offensive lines that have worked in unison. And I think that's where the five is one mantra is so important because at the professional level, you're pulling kids, you're pulling not kids, you're pulling athletes, professional athletes from all different backgrounds. You've had to coach guys that come up from major power five schools that come to the CFL You've had to coach Canadians 
that have zero pro experience and they've just been at a small Canadian CIS small school. You've had juniors that have come up and had experiences. So you've had to coach a lot of different ranges of offensive linemen. Give me a little bit of your background of how you've had success building rapport, building continuity, building just that uh, that five as one mentality on your offensive lines through your experiences, whether high school, college, or pro guys. Well, I think the first thing it comes down to is you got to have five guys that are willing to work. Um, your whole room, from your the best player on your in your room to the practice roster guy, the first year guy, the free agent guy, whoever it may be, you got to have those guys willing to work. And if they don't, if they don't work, then you hope you got someone has your back to get them out the building. Mm-hmm. As you know, at our level, sometimes we don't have that luxury, you know. So, but I think the big thing is, is you have to show them that what you're doing is going to help them. I tell the players all the time, my goal is to one is I want to win. I want to help you right now so we all can be successful, but I want to help you get your next big contract. And I don't really care if it's here or somewhere else because that means we've done a good job with you. Hopefully you enjoy your time here. Maybe you don't chase the money and go to a different organization. Maybe you take that in between money, which you were getting, what someone else is offering you, take it in between just so you can stay here to continue what you started. But that's what I try to tell them is I, I want to help you get your next contract either here or somewhere else. And if I can help a, if I can help an old head and you had a couple of these guys, Jeff Parrott and Josh Burke and uh, some of Christian Matt and those guys, if we can help you, if I can help, help you do this for a few more years, then that's that's the other part of the goal is to let guys continue their dream of playing. And as I tell them, it beats working at UPS. And so if we can help them stay for a couple more years and, and been fortunate to have had, for the most part, they all buy in and willing to do things. And so I think that's just the big thing is you can convince them you're just trying to help them and then show them other people doing the things that you're trying to get done. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to reach players. And that's something we've spoken about on the podcast before is not all players learn the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, guys maybe need to, they come from different backgrounds, you know, and I'm about to walk into a training camp where I'm going to have maybe four or five players that I coached last year in our XFL championship team in Arlington, but we've acquired some new players that have been around the league and I'm going to have to start from scratch. And these are all pro guys. I mean, we've got guys that are third, fourth round NFL draft picks that are trying to reignite their, their careers. And if they can come play for us for a year, get good film, hopefully get back in the NFL, that's the be all end all goal. But guys are going to learn differently. Uh, it, some guys need to, they like the playbook. They want to go back in their, in their hotel room, their dorm room, whatever, and they want to study. And some guys like to rewrite the rules. So you have to find different ways, maybe give them blank sheets and they can write out their, write out what their responsibility or what the offensive line does and write the calls out. Um, you've got other guys that maybe they need to learn by watching film, watching someone else do it. Mm-hmm. Um, examples, uh, hey, let's move the chairs in the meeting room. All right, man, let's fit this combo block. Let's work this combo on this slip block or this combo up to a front side linebacker on zone or, hey, let's work a high leg combo on our double team running gap schemes. They need to physically do it. Mm-hmm. How how have you, do you have any stories of different ways guys have learned or other ways that you try to reach players um, that's a little bit more unconventional or anything like that that's a little bit different or how you've had to give guys different things and maybe you see growth from different standpoints? Um, my daughters will tell you this, that I'm not the smartest person you'll ever meet. Um, not real, I'm not overly intelligent, but I do have a master's degree in education. And at that time, when I was getting my master's degree in education, there was what they called six strands of learning. Um, to be honest, I couldn't name you the six. And there's probably as many as eight to 10 now, 20 years later. But the one thing I always took from that is everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. So that was the one thing when one organization I was at, I'm not going to say where you've worked for them, you had no input at all for the draft. And so when you get a player the day after the draft, the first thing I would do at this place is, is I would call the head coach and or the position coach of the player we just drafted. And my first question was, is, is he a hard worker? second one is, can he take hard coaching? 
And the third is how does he learn best? So that way you already have a general idea when this player comes in that, okay, the coach may be honest with you. He's extremely slow, extremely slow. Mm -hmm. So he's going to need extra time or he gets embarrassed when he misses a question. That way you, you don't ask the kid a question in front of a group. You find him walking walking onto the practice field. You find him as he's walking in our situation, walking to lunch after practice. You know, you find or you just send him a text. Are you okay with this at night? So that way you don't embarrass him. I, I I got a quick story. I learned that as a young coach, as a graduate assistant. You know, I'm doing my master's in education. I got my master's in secondary ed, and I come from a teaching background. But like on the field, I had totally screwed up when I was younger. And like I would try to be hard, young, hard coach and start yelling at a guy across the field and start cussing him out. And he completely just melted down. And I learned I could never do that until you know and have a relationship with the player. And how's he learn? Does he take criticism? Sometimes a guy will take criticism and it's going to be a motivator. You can push those buttons and all of a sudden call him out in a meeting and say, hey, you and I know you're better than this. And all of a sudden that's all he needs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes players will melt down and they they just stop listening to you because they can't take the heat or the spotlight in front of a group. And so as a, as an educator, as a teacher, as a coach, all those ways that you're talking about, the different strands of learning, I think it's truly important for us as, as coaches to get to know our players with what makes them tick, what, may, what makes this important to them. So, you know, I learned from my own mistakes as a coach and we continue to try to get better every single year, every single season to help our players be the best they can be. That was probably the one thing. The only thing I got out of graduate school was that. Um, I think now with the invention of these iPads, um, I think they're good and I think they're bad um, because now kids don't know how to take notes anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, kids don't know how to critically think their way through because they're told, write this down. Or it's. I don't think you can expect that a student anymore to know when to take a note because they don't know what's important because they're too busy on these tablets and they can, they, well, I can find that information later. So um, it was like a couple weeks ago, um, my, I went to take my, I was taking my daughters out of school. We were going to a high school football game in Virginia. So I, I ran into my oldest daughter's history teacher from the year before I never met. And he's an old school guy. And she was so embarrassed. I walked up to him in the middle of the school and I was waiting for my younger daughter to come down the steps and he come and I walk in and introduce myself. And I said, I want to thank you for making my daughter take notes. Mm -hmm. I said, I told him what I did for a living. I said, I got guys that don't even know how to start taking notes because they had never been required to do that. And it's proven. It's proven. You, you remember things more if you write it down. For and sure. So and you know, one of the things that a lot of guys I'm seeing are utilizing iPads because the film's there and maybe the playbook is digital. It's on there. You don't have the traditional three ring binder playbook anymore. Right. Which is fine. That's and and now being able to now I see and I try to suggest to my guys and I'm trying to do it myself now is taking notes with a pen or, or typing notes on that iPad to have to transition our expectations as a coach so that guys have something they can go back to, that they can type or write down some of the key words that they might not be used to having a spiral notebook. Hey, I want to know what notes you took on this player. If it might be middle of the season, you're in week four, and you're playing a new defensive end or a new three technique that you've never played against before. And I've had my guys do scan reports on players, and they give it to us two days before the game. Hey, I want you to write down notes. And so that might be the first time some of these guys have ever written down notes. And a lot of them will just type it in their phone. But at least they have it to take it with them, something as a reference that they can go back to, as opposed to just watching film and trying to remember what a guy does stance-wise all of a sudden. Hey, it's third, it's third and long in the U.S. game. Hey, he's got a different stance. Or he's cocked a little bit different, or his stagger is a little bit different. He's giving away depth off the ball. Then I know that there's a twist happening, or that linebacker stacked. All those little things that if they can make notes and something to refer back to, they're going to play better in the game. 
Have you seen some of that with guys that are veterans, that are pros, that have been around the game, that they have more success because they know how to take notes and they understand personnel and what those things are going to do as they have success throughout their career? I think a lot of times what I've learned is this, not to sidestep the question, but we all learn from somebody. And that's why it's important that you have one guy in your room. Um, and he, I never got a chance to coach him. I think you probably had him a couple places. Was I always heard of Chris Van Zeel was a guy that would run a room. If a player wasn't doing something right, he would jump their ass. Well, you got to have that one guy in that room who is the ultimate professional. He is going right. to take notes. He's going to be there early. He's going to stay late. He's going to – if he's not doing a drill, he's behind. If he's hurt, let's say, and he's not going through the walkthrough. He's back there walking behind. You can see him on the film. You need at least one or two of those guys in your room because if you don't, a young guy is not going to learn when to take a note. He's not going to learn when to ask a question. He's not going to learn to know what to do when he's hurt or he's out that day for whatever reason it may be. So you got to have somebody there that can help foster that environment. And it's hard now because it's not, it's not the end thing to do to be different, you know, and, uh, I can't stand to see players show up for an 825 meeting at 827. That chaps my ass. They, I think you ought to be there. I let them eat before the team meeting. If they want to bring their breakfast in at our place, I don't care. But when you get there, get there early enough to set up, set up your workspace. You have everything done. So when it's 830, boom, we can start. The guys coming in 828, 829, they're not professional. Those are the guys you got to get out of the room. But you got to have someone like a Chris Van Zeel. Um, you got to have those guys that will say, hey, that's not how we do things. Now, you could also have those guys that are going to show up at 745. They got their workspace set out. They're studying their notes. They're studying practice from the day before. But if they're not playing, they don't have a leg to stand on. So I got one right now that's a backup, but he's that guy, 745. Um, he's only a second-year player, but he's a coach's dream. He's just got now become a good player. Then he could be that guy. You know, so – yeah, I think there's got to be – you learn from somebody. And um, I just don't think kids know how to take notes now because college ball, they're not really requiring them to learn a whole lot. And when I went back to college ball, I said, well, guys, don't, what, where, where are these guys come by and watch film during the day? It's college ball. They don't do that. Well, why don't they? Why don't they? Why don't we require that? You know, so – I um, think that's a great point. I was very blessed in my early in my career, like – when I had, um, you know, Scott Flory, um, who is a CFL Hall of Famer in Montreal, uh, Josh Burke, Jeff Parrott, all these guys that you talked about who are veteran players that they were great examples. Uh, Jeff Pilon in Calgary that I had, you know, he would come to work every single day and they were just reliable guys that were older vets that had learned from the other guys. You know, I had Freddie Childress when I was in Calgary. He was older than me when I was coaching. And it's like, how do I teach a Jamie Crisdale and guys like that who have been around the league, but they were great resources to help the younger guys. And Van Zyl was incredible that I, when I had him in Toronto, um, he would run the personnel meeting room. Like, okay, I'm giving you the remote and I'm going to go sit in the back and I'm not going to say a word. And you guys are going to scout the opponent. And young guys would just, they'd look around they're like, wow, this, this is a player-led meeting, and it empowers them that there's investment. And when you can learn from guys that when you talk about on the practice field, I'll always remember you've got younger players and older players, and when an older player steps out, he'll get a drink. He'll do what he needs to do. But when he's not in, he's watching the younger guys. He's taking the footwork in the back. They're making the mic IDs. And when you see great organizations, you've got the backup quarterbacks in the back that are taking drops behind the quarterback, all the coaches get the heck out of the way. Cause when you're a professional quarterback, the one gets all the reps and maybe the two or the three might take the scout team, but the guys that are in the back, they need to take mental reps and watching from those guys, I think are great examples. If you're a young guy coming into a college organization or a young guy going to a, a, a first time pro experience, going to your first mini camp, you better look around and see who's the vet in the room. Because that's the guy you need to be listening to. You need to do and emulate exactly what those guys are doing. And those are great resources. That's a great point that you bring up. Um, the other two, I, the, the, when we get, first thing I tell rookies when they come is, 
I think the best advice I can give you is you need to find out what's important to me and make it important to you. Because now you got a better chance of sustaining if you know if you do what I think is important. Because too many guys are like, well, I'm only gonna be here for a year, or my way's better than their way. And I think it's all it, that way. You you can you'll put yourself a step ahead of someone you're competing with on that particular team if you're if you are an extension of your position coach. And, and I, if they're and if we're all using the same language, I mean that's the thing. When we start talking about sets and talking about angles. And having the ability to have a common language, then we're communicating together. And so that's one of the things I could talk about. What's important to our unit? Well, it's you need to follow the example of the older guy and also get on the same page with the position coach and the coordinator because the sooner we're all pulling in the same direction, the faster you're going to get on the field and the more success we're going to have as an organization and as a unit moving the ball and protecting the quarterback and staying on the same page, pick, picking up pressures. So it, the sooner we're all together, the yeah. better this thing's going to be. And I tell them this all the time. I don't decide. My boss doesn't decide who makes the team. You guys do. So make it hard for us to make a decision. So a lot of times you guys make the decision easy for us. Right. You know, if I got to pick between the guy that's showing up two minutes before the meeting starts or the guy who's there 20 minutes early, and it's the same. I'm going with the guy that's there 20 minutes early. You know, so find out what's important to the people that um, can make the final decision if it's that close. Make it impossible. The offensive line coach right now for the Montreal Alouettes is Luke Brodeur Jordan. Mm-hmm. I had Luke. He was a young offensive lineman from Laval, which is a powerhouse program up in uh, up in Quebec, and he had a language barrier. It was difficult for us to communicate just because. Uh, French was his first language. He had been in camp the year before and he would come in and stay and he would sleep in his car in the facility because he wanted to be the first one in the building. Mm-hmm. He would be the first one. He would watch Anthony Calvillo, our Hall of Fame quarterback. He'd be the first one in the door. A lot of times when coaches were coming in early at 430 in the morning, AC was ready to come in, get his workout, watch his film for an hour and a half, two hours. So Luke did the same thing as a player because he wanted it. And now he's the offensive line coach there. They won the Grey Cup this past year. So if you're a worker, if you're a grinder, a lot of times that thing's going to pay off for you in the long run because you got that work ethic. And that he's one of my prides, just the one of the players. He's being a self-made man. He took yeah, I, full I advantage. Had Luke as well. I had Luke yeah. for three years, so yeah. I know Luke well. Yep. And there were some things that he would say that things that I would say that would go right over his head. And he would come back to me after the meeting, say, Coach Jaime, what what are you saying? I didn't understand it in a meeting room. And he would come to me personally one on one and we would sit down and have those conversations. And sometimes it was just he didn't understand the scheme, but also there was a language barrier. And so he was not afraid to come to me. He wasn't going to say something in the middle of the meeting, but he did it on his time so that he was successful and he was a very solid player in the league for a long time. And so happy with the success he's having. And I'm sure he's a great teacher in his room and uh, happy for the success that he's had. I know you're not real happy about the success he had this past year. Uh, you pick the, when you pick the wrong time to play the worst game, it uh, it does leave a um, sour taste in the mouth. I mean, you guys, you have won two great cups, if I'm not mistaken. You won. 08 in Calgary. 08 in Calgary. Yep. Um, Last year, not this year, but 2022, right? You won in Toronto. Toronto, yes. So you've been around Ryan, I guess. Give give me a little insight to what your season or what your tenure in Toronto has been like. You guys have been one of the top franchises uh, production-wise offensively. You guys are lighting up scoreboards. I think this past year, 23, did you tie the best record of all of the CFL, how, how well did you guys do this past year? We uh, were sixteen and two. That's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, it was. We had a good run. Yeah, um, you did, man. Don't don't sell it short. We clinched the East with six games to go, and <laughs> that was that was hard, you know, because now you got six games. Do you right. rest, who do you rest this week? Who do you play here? Who do we not want the opponent to see for the first time in a regular season, which we may see late? Um, it was just a lot of management of the last six weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
course, you can always say that affected the outcome. I don't know if it did or not, but it was really difficult that last six weeks, to be honest with you. Um, it is when you're not fighting every single day and fighting and scratching and clawing and having that week in, week out, have to just battle to the last snap. And when guys know they've clinched and they're in the playoffs, there's a little bit of – I'm not saying it happened, but I, I take it you're alluding to there's a little bit of cruise control. You lose your edge, you which some it. people – emergency. Um, and it's yeah. just a whole thing. Okay, am I up this week or am I down this week? Right, right. They're coming in on day one – that in the back of their mind and then if they if they're not up okay hey, we're going to go with so-and-so this week um that's just a decision made you got to live with it and now now you're as a coach you're sitting on the pins and needles thinking well if the guy we go with gets hurt on day two is this person going to be ready to play so right a lot of things go into it then t experience it you just okay one week we've all been there we clinched it with one game to go maybe two games to go that's easy but when you're right. talking about six weeks, it's what's the mindset of um, this person when they are playing? Well, why is that person not playing this week? Or why should I have to play when um, there's no roster bonus? There's none of this. If right. I get hurt, you know, it's it becomes the business decision. So um, I don't know if it affected us. We can always uh, – we'll, we'll always wonder, right? But, yeah, it was, it was a great run. Um, you know, you go back and, you know – Watching all the film right now, it's you still could be a lot better, you know. And um, I was talking with another gentleman as a coordinator in the league somewhere, and he says, "Yeah, because I was telling him how unhappy I was with how we played at times." And he goes, "Yeah, but you got to compare yourself to everybody else." And he said, uh, and that made a lot of sense. He goes, "Your guys are at least going to the right. They may not be doing it perfectly, but at least they're going to the right place and they're playing hard." So we got a lot to improve on, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it's kind of unfinished business i guess um it's kind of the mindset right now and um it still stings a little bit you know but hey it's part of it you're right you don't have to be the best team you just gotta be the best team for three hours you've been around some great coaches uh you mentioned dan derazio you mentioned your experiences in the cfl the guys that you've been in college but you got to know bill callahan uh over the last couple years and he's his assistant offensive line coach is scott peters who is a big proponent and really the one that started tip of the spear training with that and Ray Crowther. Give me your, how did you first connect with coach Callahan and your experiences with him? Because he's one of the best, most well-known renowned coaches in the offensive line world had a ton of success. And I mean, you see it all the rotation of different groups in, in Cleveland right now, and they're still producing and having a great season. Uh, this past year with what he's done. What's your experience with Coach Callahan? I met Bill um, through a mutual friend. Mike Bloomgren was a quality control uh, position at the Jets. So Bloom actually got me into the first mini camp when Rex Ryan was there. And um, so I went up for three days um, to watch them. And Bill and I talked, and for whatever reason, he took a liking to me. We've stayed in contact since. And he's he's a great resource. Um, uh, went up and spent a, a, a day with him last year. Uh and uh, their head coach was kind enough to kind of revolve their schedule that day around my visit. And so uh, him and Scott were uh, were able to visit with me, answer any questions, and uh, give me a lot of in-depth detail to what they're teaching. So, um, And we used a lot of it in, um, in our protection stuff last year. And um, I think it's it's great teaching. It's, um, it's different. It's detailed. Um, it takes time for the guys to learn it and um, hopefully we'll be better at it this year, you know? So it was a, it was a great day. It was probably the best day of football I spent. So give me some of the takeaways just within teaching and how you've evolved and utilizing some of the tip of the spear training just in your last couple of years, getting to know them and, and using that. Cause I think it's kind of groundbreaking um, technique that has changed really the, some of the fundamentals over the last couple of years. Well, it's really weird is, and um, I may have to step away here for a minute. I'm on my wife's computer. I may have to go plug it in because the battery's on 4%. Oh. But, um, let me tell the story here. I think a lot of it kind of stems back to, I only see 2000, maybe two, uh, December, January, January of 2008, um, I met John Scrollo. Mm-hmm. Scrollo was the first person to talk about playing long mm-hmm. and thinking outside the box. Well, John was at Duke living down in Durham, which is, at that time, I was in Calgary. We'd come home in the off season, 
my wife's family is in Raleigh. So when we visit her family, I'd go see John. And so that's when I first started learning about playing the whole playing long thing. So Bill and Scott have taken it to a whole nother level. And so I'll still go visit uh, John once a year. I'll go down to visit him in uh, Durham, which is about an hour from here. And we talk about the playing long stuff, playing long and circular force and body mechanics and those type of things. So, um, so I, I started doing that while well, those thought processes in 2008. Um, and then I've adapted, kind of changed a little bit here away um, from the Strollo um, methods. And then last year with, with the bill and Scott um, learning from them on hand placement sets, the um, recoveries and pass protection. Um, and then a little bit how they're blocking some of the, the inside zones, the, excuse me, the wide zone stuff for the cover guys and those type of things. So, yeah, I try to take as much as I could um, in the middle right now of going through all of our clips, both run and pass and practice game film and putting it all together on tape and to realize we can be much better at it. So um, that's part of the offseason project now is finding guys in the NFL doing these things. I think Dallas has got three guys that are, that really do a lot of what Bill teaches. Um, if you get a chance to watch both their guards and then the left tackle, I think is probably the best ever, um, 77. But they're doing a lot of what – and Bill had coached two of the three in Dallas years before. So, um, yeah, I took a lot from that day's visit. It was, it, was, uh, it was the best day of football I've ever spent and I'm extremely thankful that they were willing to give me their time because it was hard to get in there. So, Sweet, we've talked about, you know, you've been in a lot of different places. You've had uh, some great influences, some people that have been uh, mentors for you in your experience in the CFL. Um, Is there anything that you would say, looking back at your career and the places that you've been and how much you've grown as a coach and we've all changed, any advice that maybe you would have for a young coach or if you could go back and, man, I wish I'd have known this. 20, 25 years ago when I was first getting into coaching? That we all we don't have all the answers. Um, maybe be easier to work with. Um, it's probably one for me. Um, I have a I have a low tolerance for um, um, people who aren't competent. And I've had to learn over time just to bite my tongue and to realize that we're not all the same. Um I, probably that's one of the biggest ones. Just be be easier to work with. Um, and advice I give any coaches, young coach as well as older coaches, try to learn every day. Don't that I can't. This is what we do. Well, that don't make any sense to me. Um, we're going to do what we do. Well, sometimes it's not going to work. Find another way to do it. Find another way to teach your players. Um, you know, it's. It, I have a saying. I, I believe this. It's if it's easy on the coach, it's going to be hard on the player. <laughs> so if we just want to make life easy on us because this is quote what we do, then you're you're not putting those young men or, or young kids in a, a chance to be successful. So I can't stand that. And the other thing I can't stand is well, we've always done it that way. That is another one that drives me up a wall. So as my advice is, don't don't fall for those. It's easy this or uh, this is what we do or this way it's always been done. Break the ship down and rebuild it. I think you've got to continue to grow as a coach. And that's why I love the resources that this podcast has allowed me to get to know people a little bit more and working with different people from different backgrounds. When I was down in Dallas this past year, uh, a a good friend of mine, Duke Mannyweather, puts on the O-Line Masterminds Clinic. And it's been a great resource to be able to go and listen to the top pros in the NFL and listen to it. And it's player driven. And it's not a coach's clinic. You've been able to speak and with your success, you spoke at the cool clinic a number of years ago. Um, got to listen to that. And it's always unique listening to coaches at a clinic. They're going to give maybe some insight, but a lot of coaches keep some of the nuts and bolts. They're not giving all the answers away because, you know, you don't want to give away how much you've earned and how much you've learned. And those are your kind of your trade secrets. But when a player stands up and you hear from a player standpoint, it's been really neat to be able to hear from them what works for them and how they've been able to work with coaches. Cause a lot of these guys have had different coaches throughout their careers and they have to change their techniques based on what coaches expect. 
And one of the guys that I got to know, um, Clint Anderson, who's down in the DFW area, he runs a lineman performance academy and works with high school and pro guys in DFW. And I want to thank, just throw a shout out to LPA and Clint with his tools that he has created. He's put together the soup bone and the torque wheel, some tools that we use in our training at some of the different spots. And he's worked with guys like Lane Johnson when he was coming out at Oklahoma, uh, trains with him in the offseason and Creed Humphrey and some of these guys to say, you got to look at things a little different. You can't always say, hey, this is the my training. It's always been the same. Players are continuing to evolve. Coaches need to evolve their teaching methods and learning from guys like that. I just want to thank Clint for what he's done with how much he's given to five as one training, using some of his tools and also the insight from some of the players that I got to learn from going to O-line masterminds. It's great to be able to continue to develop after I'm hitting almost 50 here. And every single day when you're watching film or when you're watching the wildcard playoff games and you're watching the scheme, you're watching technique and man, I'm going to, I'm going to incorporate that into some drill work and our continuing evolution throughout the off season. What are you working on? How do you work as a coach in the off season right now? Cause it's different for us. We get to watch fall football. We get to watch college and NFL games because that's our quote unquote downtime. When you're done in around Thanksgiving and you've got this time, this window that you're able to train guys with five is one sweep, but like you're able to watch a lot of ball. I'm able to watch a ton of ball. We get to watch a ton of the what's going on right now in the playoffs. How are you continuing to evolve and try to find ways that it's going to better you as a coach right now? I think one of the best inventions ever um, is this pro football focus. And um, we have access to that through the CFL and our organization. So I have access to every college and every pro game, you know, that lasts about 10 years. So um, I see things, I, I may see things during our season. Um, it's day three night. I come home, uh, which would be two days for a game, um, for a Friday, for, excuse me, it'd be a Thursday for a college coach, let's say. So I get, I get home early. I got NFL game on Thursday night and I see that, let's just say the Raiders, the, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're doing something different. You know, so put a little mental note when the season's over with, I'll go back and I'll go to the PFF and I'll say, I want to look at every one of their blah, blah, blah. And then I'll study that. Or So if I just see something I like, I'll I'll cut it up in the all-season study. So I, right now I'm in the middle of doing a bunch of that. I got about eight or nine of them I'm working on right now. Um, and then when we meet back in February in Toronto, um, I'll have all the information for the run game what we need to be better, what we need to change, X, Y, and Z. And um, RD's pretty good. He's just like, tell me what tell me what you got. We don't sit there and look at every clip. He's like, what do you got? What do we know? And what do you need to change? Why? How does that affect us? Throwing the other positions. So that's pretty much our run game meeting right there in the offseason. But um, so that works out well. So I dive into that pretty hard. Um, like this morning, I just got done doing our base six-man protection Um Tomorrow I'll start our five man protection, and then you ch- kind of churn the numbers. Who giving up the most effects? This, that, and the other. What can we do? To, what and then along that being said, it, it, you evaluate each player and what they need to work on. So once we know who our guys will be after free agency, then we'll start probably do a um, a video a day. Um, our video guy will put it online and so forth, and then the players can look at it when they want. So um, that's kind of what my day includes. Um, and I try to study as much as I can. Um, you know, Bob's clinic in Cincinnati, and um, another another gem I'll throw uh, just a name out for people who may not know a whole lot about this is a guy gentleman's located in California named Bill Williams. I don't know if you've heard of him. He has a football professional growth association, and I have a bunch of Bills in service clinics and stuff. Bill is ex- exceptional, um, unbelievable teacher. Um, I try to study as much as Bill stuff as I can because he thinks outside the box. And um, so that's another one of my resources. I always study Bill stuff, Bill Williams, that is. And then anything in the NFL that I can get my hands on. And then the other thing, just other teams in the CFL because there are some subtle differences and naturally within the game. So, uh, you know, our tackle struggle with this. Well, are the other teams that have tackle struggling with that? What are they doing differently? So, um, 
I sit in the same place every day on the couch and have propped up on my lap and I'm watching that um, Dallas reruns and my next TV shows will be Nashville. So I'll have the Nashville reruns and Dallas reruns and watch two and a half men, Andy Griffin all day and Fox <laughs> news. And as I'm studying film. Well, and, and you've got availability right now. And I think that's what works with our schedule with the training with five is one, you know, we're professional coaches and we've been there and we've done that. And we're not trying to recruit some of these kids. We want to be able to help them and do some clinics and fundamentals and give kids the tools and the skills that are going to help them be successful when they are putting together their final huddle film to try to get recruited and or working with guys when they come back in the offseason. I had a chance to work with some guys coming back after their bowl games uh, this past year here in Colorado and to see the growth and the development to work with younger guys. Man, it is so fun to work with young guys because they are soaking it all up like a sponge because a lot of these kids haven't had this type of coaching. And so that's why I'm excited about your addition and what you're going to bring to the five is one training with our community. We've got expansion, not only where you're at in North Carolina and Virginia with your contacts in the Roanoke, Salem, all that area up there. And um, one of my ex-players, Josh Harris, who is down in Atlanta, who played for me at Wake Forest, he's going to be able to take some continued expansion down in Atlanta. We've got some things happening with expansion and, uh, Texas, when I get down in the DFW area, a uh, good close friend of mine, Bob Connolly, uh, he's going to be in the area. So we've got a ton of expansion and we want this to be something not just, hey, I'm going to go work with a coach one day. This is going to be a continual growth and development with a lot of the young players that are working with five as one with our training. And that's what that's what the line play development and growth is. It's not just a, a quick fix. It's continued development it's growth it's coming to put the work in and it's building that rapport with the athletes that we're working with so i'm excited to have you a part of the family uh sweet we've we've seen each other we've coached against each other in the cfl um i've got three great cup championships you've got two um and it's fun to just coach young guys when they want to help themselves and when they come in and they put the work in you're you're gonna have a blast working with these guys and so anybody in the north carolina greensboro research triangle coaches that want to help your offensive line get better reach out to coach sweet he is now on social media we need to get uh his followers up so it's uh Chris with a K underscore sweet one. I think that's now your um, your ex and Instagram for those that want to follow along and get to know him and reach out coaches. He's a great resource in your area. Well, I, you know, I'll be happy to, you know, my phone number, will be on, I'll be happy to answer any questions. Um, and I think it, 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 it hit me years ago when I was talking to an NFL coach. He told me, he says, after the 15th pick, it doesn't matter who you draft because you may hit on one majority of them will take two or three years to develop nowadays. So hopefully we, we can help kids um, at the high school level be able to step up into the college level a little bit quicker and um, give those kids a chance to have success early. Um, earlier, um, feel good, have a good experience playing high school football, good experience in a high expectation going to, to college. So, you know, Hey, it's a, uh, None of us are doing this for the money, are we? I mean, we're we do it because we love to do it, and we like to be competitive on game days. But it's, it's 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 also nice to see kids and grown men as we deal with now have success at, at an older age. So, hey, with all that being said, I'm excited to uh, to, to to get doing this and um, just to kind of help Lyman grow, help Lyman get better. I love it, sweet. And you're you're dropping the uh, taglines, and uh, you you might have a future in podcast. Uh, when I start my season, we're going to be going here in about a month with training camp with the UFL and the Arlington Renegades. I'll be down in DFW area. I may have to just hand over the reins on the podcast and let you uh, let you take it from there, since you're you're such good uh, uh, in front of the camera, uh, good media this, personality. This is, a, this is a face made for radio. <laughs> hey, we've got it. It's on. Uh, 
um, at its own Spotify, Apple Podcast, um, and we've got our YouTube page. So please feel free, like, subscribe, send us questions. Uh, we're here as a resource. Uh, this is just one way we want to help continue to grow the offensive line community. It's great to have guys like Sweet on here. Uh, Chris, I appreciate the time, man. It's awesome to talk a little ball, get to know uh, really uh, your background and what's important to you. And and it's great to have guys like you a part of this community. And I look forward to being down in, in DFW area. We'll be down at Hop and Sting Brewery in Vaqueros, Texas, barbecue soon with the Arlington Renegade uh, offensive line. Um, please tune in. Things are going to be rolling here very soon. Um, Fox, ABC, ESPN is going to be covering the league, so it'll give you something to watch. The league's going to be starting a little bit later, um, and we'll be really the only uh, professional football league that's going on during that time in March. Um, after March Madness is over, really guys will get their football fixed that way before they're starting to watch uh, the Argos up in uh, uh, Toronto do their thing and have another great year. And sweet, I wish you all the best, man. It's, it's it's exciting to watch you guys play. You guys are uh, dominant up front. Excited to see you guys get back to it. I know you're pissed off and want to get back, have that edge again, and and uh, not just have the success in the regular season, but it's about playing well in the playoffs and doing it down the final stretch. And so I know you'll have those guys going. You and Coach Dimwitty, uh, excited to see the success that you guys uh, are deserved and and uh, on the way. Well, well wishes, man. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Good to have you on, man. Appreciate it. Hey, all you guys, please subscribe, like, and follow uh, Coach Sweet on uh, his new social media. But uh, it's great to have everybody a part of this. And with that being said, episode 18 is in the books. And uh, good luck and God bless. And uh, please reach out to us. We are a resource for all offensive linemen, offensive line coaches, parents throughout the recruiting uh, landscape right now. We are here for you guys and appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And with that being said, we'll see you next time.